Hi, I'm Kirk Flagg. Welcome to the PEO InSync podcast. In each episode, we will take you behind the scenes to explore the ever-changing PEO world. We will talk with the industry legends, the people whose hard work and creativity shape the PEO world of today. Also, we'll interview current industry leaders, those who are using their own creativity to grow and expand what it means to be a PEO. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy today's episode. So good day. My name is Kirk Flagg, and I'm bringing you the InSync PEO podcast. Today, I'm fortunate enough to have Jim Bell III as my guest. Jim, where, where are you right now? Right now, I am in New Jersey, which is where our corporate headquarters is. Very good. I know that you've been in the PEO industry for about 30 years. Uh, how did you get into the PEO industry? I started a, my professional career. I started with a marketing degree and in sales. And I was working for anybody with, with the gray hair that you and I have would remember MC, MCI, uh, not WorldCom, but MCI. And I was selling long distance in the open market. Uh, my dad had been... Uh, courted to run a startup PEO in New Jersey back in 88-ish. So he was looking for salespeople. I was not overly enthralled selling long distance. And I started working for the company he was a CFO at. Uh, We left that company in January of 92. And Able Leasing Company Inc. was started on March 26, 1992. Back then, Able, Le- Able stood for a better employee leasing company. Just happened to kind of kind of ring into our, our last name as well, and it got us to the top of the phone book when phone books actually mattered. Yeah, interesting. Besides changing the name from employee leasing company to PEOs, what have been the biggest changes in your 30 years in the industry? Uh, product or just knowledge of the industry now. Back in the day when was selling it, you you could sell it at any more or less any price that you could create the value on, as opposed now where with so much competition and competition is good, but it's given us more credibility, but the, the prices are, are more uh, commoditized at this point in time. Um, underwriting is far more impressive these days. There's a lot more tools out there for us to write the right business at the best prices possible. But technology has been our friend. If you think 30 years ago, 95% of payroll was done internally on a, on, not on QuickBooks, but on one right or on an old-fashioned ledger, whereas now 95% of payroll is outsourced. So it's a much easier sale now just because of the outsourcing aspects of what's gone on with the whole industry, not PEO, but HR outsourcing, payroll benefits, taxes, et cetera. Could you tell us a little bit about Able HR? So we started in New Jersey, obviously in New Jersey, and we planned on being just a New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania company. We In 1994, we signed a large pharmaceutical company to handle their salespeople nationwide. So we went from mm-hmm. two or three states to 25 states in a blink of an eye. Last I looked, I think we're at 46 or 47 states that we service our clients and our employees in. In, North, in the Northeast, so New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, our health insurance chassis is a company by the name of Oxford. Oxford is a wholly owned division of United Healthcare. 
outside of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, we use uh, United Healthcare. So both vendors, we've got 15 or 16 different uh, plans with multiple pricing tiers. So we can, in theory, price to, price to every risk that we run into. Our ancillary insurance, our ancillary insurance and, and other stuff is handled with MetLife and United as well. So we don't have a lot of vendors, but we like to think we have the best vendors. But how do you distinguish yourself from, from the competition, especially what I'll call the, the big publicly traded companies? The easiest way to distinguish against them is service, service, service. If anybody deals with me, they've got my email address. In my email address is my cell phone. So I don't, obviously, I answer it all the time. The pandemic made us have to answer a lot more calls because so many different people were calling from different areas. So my team is service oriented. We're not, we're not the big, we're, we're never going to be the ADP total source of the world, but we're there. When you've got a PEO as big as an ADP or a host of the other ones that are in that grouping, the sun is setting on one side of the company and the, and the moon is coming on the other. So they, 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 you can get lost in the shuffle. Our customer base is known by their customer name, not customer number, not please hold. Uh, we don't deal with voicemail. It's there for after hours, but you don't get shoved into a queue. We don't have calling queues. There's a large PEO that's, that you referenced to, and they're running a commercial now about how wonderful they are and the, their 800 number, they answer to the phone when in reality, they don't. And my organization has been built with, by my dad and, and brought up through the years with customer comes first, customer centric, answer the phone, return their phone call. It's, it's really simple in theory to do. Doesn't work out in practice that well sometimes, but that's, that's how we deal with our client base. And I think it's important, um, uh, I'd like you to comment on this, but a lot of the, the largest PEOs are publicly traded. And so they are focusing on uh, the next quarter's profits. And I've seen in the past maybe five to 10 years, a decline in service where they're pushing more and more people to a panel of service providers. So you don't get the same person whenever you're answering the phone. Uh, is that something that you've seen out on the East Coast as well? Yes, and that's what I was referring to as the call queue. We don't have the call queue. You get, a, you get your person or you, they'll, they'll get a message to say, sorry, Mr. Flag, so-and-so will be back to you. They'll get a Teams, they'll get a, an instant message on Teams or email or whatever, and they'll be back to you uh, as soon as they wrap up with, with whatever they're on. Um, it is something that I've seen, as I said, I'm not going to disparage the PEO in question, but they make a big push in, in the New York market about how wonderful their customer service is. And I think it's making more people call other PEOs just because it's, com it's, it's completely counterintuitive to how their service model really works. Right. I, I tend to agree. And I think, you know, I'm uh, in California, as you know, and I've uh, run across the same thing out here. Wanted to uh, just ask you for your, you've been doing this for a long time and you know you have an excellent um, uh, blurb on your LinkedIn page, but when you meet someone, uh, meet a client, what would your 30 second elevator pitch be to them? Why they should be using a PEO? Well, it's, it's probably a smidge longer than 30 seconds because I basically go into a simple, a simple statement and I give a nice pregnant pause in there and, and 
it often opens to, oh, are you a PEO? And I'm like, oh my goodness, buy that. If we're out at a restaurant, I'm like, hey, waiter, bartender, get that person a drink on me. And to that point, I've been buying a lot more drinks in the last four or five years. PEO from a perspective is, in the Northeast at least, is very benefit centric. And benefits in the Northeast are crazy expensive. So any help you can give them is going to be beneficial. But from my perspective, someone says, hey, Jim, what do you do for a living? I said, HR outsourcing, we go into small, medium-sized companies. We take the people off their payroll, put them on our payroll, and then co-employ them back. We then do the payroll, the benefits, the taxes, the HR, all the things that business owners don't want to do and genuinely aren't good at is what my team does. That allows the business owner to focus on whatever they're good at. It may not be, they may not want to be dealing with work anymore. They may want to go go away and go play golf for the day or go fishing or spend time with their with their spouse or their kids. But we we give the, the business owner their time back to focus on the big picture and not deal with the nonsense that my team does either personally or with technology. And that will generally, well, does it save me money? I said, well, sometimes it can. We're buying technology, 401k. Uh, health insurance, workers' compensation, and EPL in bulk. So sometimes there is a savings, sometimes there's not. I've, I've learned over the years not to box myself into a, a savings position because if there's not, you've lost you've lost all steam in the conversation. Whereas right. you're selling you're selling the value proposition of PEO, and that 99% of the time is going to have a return to, a return on investment to them. Right. And I think you make the, a really key point there. Um, I've seen studies where small business owners, CEOs, presidents of um, the medium-sized companies, their most valued um, resource is time. They don't have a time to work on this project or they don't have time to work on another project. And when you're, as a PEO, giving them that time back, what is the value of that time? you know, to grow your business or whatever. So I, I think that's, uh, I agree with your approach. I think that's uh, an excellent way to approach a new prospect. One of the um, things that I've learned from, and I'll give props to a dear friend of mine in Dallas, Clay Kelly. He says, is, is the work you're doing at 850 or 850? And people look at you and say, what do you mean? Well, the work you're doing is a clerical in nature that's $8.50 an hour. Whereas you should be spending your time on stuff that's $850 an hour. And again, time to yourself, you get to choose what you want to do with it, as opposed to getting sucked into all the things that you've been in this industry long enough that, that owners and PEOs get involved with. Right, right. And I think a lot of PEO sales people don't follow Clay's advice um, and they focus on the savings, which I think we both agree isn't the way to go. The reason I wanted to have you on today uh, was to talk about certified PEOs. I know Able HR is a certified PEO, but I also know that there may be two dozen PEOs, maybe 10% of all the PEOs out there are certified. And I wanted to see what benefit, what you feel a certified PEO provides to you and to your clients. Could, could you just briefly doesn't even have to be briefly. Could you go into how a certified PEO uh, affects a client? Absolutely. So from a P PEO numbers, um, I, I've been on been and, and are on the board of NAPIO, which is our trade organization. And 
there are approximately 950 PEOs that they've cobbled together. Not all members of, of NAPIO, but roughly 950. And there's about 53 to 55 of them. So to your point about percentages, it's about 5%. I'm not sure why more haven't done it, but from a perspective of what it takes to be a certified a CPEO, you've got to turn your financials over to them. You're audited. You have to be uh, bonded. So with that said, what is what are the benefits of being a certified PEO? No federal and, and no federal tax restarts. So for an organization selling in your neck of the woods, or for that matter, in my corporate neck of the woods, where the, the average wage in a city is $150,000, $200,000. If you weren't sold, selling something in New York City in Q1, you weren't gonna get that risk during the rest of the year because the FICA restart was deadly from a cost perspective. You couldn't sell through it. So that allows, being a CPEO, allows us to take credit for prior balances on federal unemployment and on state unemployment. One of the other things it does is when, when I was a child and I started selling this, it was, it was a much more involved process. It wasn't broker driven. You got to sit down and talk to the prospect and figure out what their pains were and come up with a solution for them. Now in today's day and age, there's a ton more selling going on just like you and I are doing on online and you don't get that advantage. So there's trust is something that we've all learned is earned. And in the new, in the new world with certified PEOs, once you're onboarded with that PEO, you can actually call IRS, should you feel the need for that pain, and you can track down your tax ID number to show that your taxes have been paid. So it's a, again, trust is earned. This is, I don't have to, I don't have to earn that one. Hey, if you don't, we, we're certified. And if you want to call IRS, give it to your CPA and have them do it. So it's made it's made a significant difference in the ability on how we're doing business because we, we can lean on that. It's also become a cut line where people say, hey, I'm not doing business with you unless you're a certified PEO. And we approach CPEO a little bit different than a lot of other PEOs. There are a lot of the big box PEOs that you and I were discussing earlier, and they've got gaggles and gaggles of operating PEOs. Able HR has five different PEOs for a host of different reasons. But every one of our PEOs is certified with IRS, not just ABLE 1 or ABLE 2, but ABLE 1 through 5. We are all certified. So it doesn't matter what state the employee is in, if they wind up with having to use ABLE 1 and ABLE 3 because of certain state licensure rules, they're going to, uh, they're going to be covered under a CPEO arrangement. And that's something that a lot of the big boys have not done. They are, they'll certify a few of them and then not certify the rest of them. I know one larger PEO, for whatever reason, Alabama is something they've ignored. Don't know why, but again, that becomes a cut line. And if I'm selling against a bigger one and I say, yeah, I'm certified here, look, as opposed to the PEO you're with there is not. So it, it, I find it to be great from a tax restart perspective and there's also a credibility perspective. It's we're 30, March will be, our company will be 30 years old. So we've got obviously long, we've got a length of time that we've been in business, but we've got credibility because of our certification with IRS. It's interesting that you share that. Um, I've been seeing that quite a bit uh, out here in California that are you a certified PEO? Uh, partly because uh, clients or prospects are asking for it, but also um, 
a couple of the big box players are saying, well, we're a certified PEO. That's why I basically had wanted to get you on to see what the advantages are. And I think you've, you've uh, spelled them out quite, a, uh, quite well. What was uh, NAPIO's role in, in getting this certified PEO or what was their mission in getting the certified PEO um, legislation passed? This legislation is probably three or four years old at this point. I'm, I'm not in my specific office right now, but I have a copy of the bill uh, laminated in, on the wall. Um, it was filed away. It was, it was in there. And we, uh, Tom uh, from Napio was trying to get this, find a vehicle to put it in. And at, in the blink of the night, we have been trying for years to get this passed. And it, it, just, it just wasn't getting through. And then the Small Business SBEA, Small Business Efficiency Act, came through. And all of a sudden, we all woke up the next morning and, wow, the CPEO has been born. Get your applications ready and start moving. And that was a painful process for a lot of us as well. And it took a lot of time. But, yeah, this was, this was a goal of NAPIO for, for many years under the guidance of Tom's, uh, Pat Cleary and Tom Stoller, who heads up all of that. And... Uh, as I said, it was ready to go, ready to go, ready to go. And then all of a sudden it would fall apart at the last minute. And uh, last yeah. time it didn't. So it's, uh, it's like I said, we're probably in year three or four at this point, if I'm thinking about it, but not getting any right. younger. So my, my memory's getting a little weaker. <laughs> I, uh, as you say that, I, I'm remembering that uh, when I first got into the industry a little after you did, but it was still 97 um, that was one of the first projects that came across my desk was help the company that I was with at that time uh, work on passing legislation to have the PEO industry recognized. So uh, unlike some of the other work I did in, in my earlier years, this actually showed some results. And I think Pat did an excellent job in, in getting this through. I think it was very clever the, the way this was done. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Sorry, we've always been a proponent of the industry and increasing it. And a million years ago, um, Jim Bell Sr. was instrumental in getting New Jersey licensure done. We had There was a, a favor that was done for the governor. Um, and the governor said, okay, what, how can I help you? He's like, I'd like to get legislation in New Jersey for PEO so that we have something right. to stand on. So he called that favor in. And New, New, the New Jersey PEO bill or employee leasing bill, as it was back in the day, was launched. So um, I think some level of guardrails or scaffolding around every industry is important. And uh, NAPIO has done a, a good job in giving a lot of us that support. Yeah, NAPIO has been a great organization. And the other thing that, uh, that I like to about the industry is that People are so willing to share their time and advice on, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? A lot of thought is put into running a PEO. And I know you're, you know, 30 years is quite an accomplishment for, for you. Before we close out today, I wanted to talk a little bit about having been on the board of NAPIO. What do you see the challenges that are facing the PEO industry today? I think the biggest challenge, I don't know, I can't think of something glaring, glaring. There's two things that are, that are glaring to me right now. And they're not, they're not PEO specific. One is the ability to find good people. 
with everything that's going on post COVID and people not wanting to come back to work. And I don't know where they, they, did all the people get abducted by aliens and there's no one to work anymore. I have no idea. We have the lowest unemployment and uh, the highest need out there. So I, I don't know where all these people uh, disappeared to. So that is, that is a number one thing. And that's, that's both for whether you're in a PEO or not in a PEO, but it's also a, a phenomenal value proposition. We are selling more now. Every P, My closest friends are all PEO operators. My girlfriend's a competitor. My best friend's a competitor. I just left the uh, NAPIO board meeting in, in uh, Birmingham, Alabama uh, on Wednesday. And that was the subject is yours. Okay, what are we doing? But the, the PEO value proposition is stronger now than it's ever been because of COVID. You can now hire yeah. somebody. You can be in the, on the West Coast like you and say, oh, I need a accounts payable or accounts receivable clerk, and you can hire him or her from Atlanta and put them online. Right. Oh, well, all of a sudden, you've got to worry about payroll taxes and benefits for a state that you never contemplated. So we're, a lot of the PEOs are ha- are struggling with de minimis licenses and stuff like that, because if you're, you're a PEO in Alabama and you're servicing Alabama as an example, and they hire somebody in, uh, in New Jersey, oh, shoot, I got to go get licensed for that. So that is a that is a challenge and just finding people. Uh, the other thing is technology, technology, technology. All these hackers out there that are trying to get after our books and, and get into our systems and steal our data. So Napio just uh, this past week uh, developed a uh, cyber task force. So it's a, it's a whole nother uh, talk track with Napio that will have a director or a, a leader of that and set up and go down the road to start doing different things. But those are the, the two things that I see from a from an overview of, the, there's not a lot of doom and gloom out there. Um, there's It doesn't matter who's in the governor's mansion or who's in the White House, because whoever it is, is always gonna create more work for businesses. And that's where the PEO comes in. There are some white papers that have already been printed and, uh, shoot me an email offline and I'll get you a copy of the most recent one that you can publish with this a base, that basically covers how much work Napio did for its members, us, and how much work we did for our clients. And without us, we've got tons of clients that have said we wouldn't be in business without our PEO. Right. From that, I, I from think that the, whole COVID shutdown. So there's... PEO industry really stepped up during COVID to help their clients, you know, get the loans, the higher, the higher percentage of businesses that received loans that were able to process and basically survive through a very difficult period, you know, using a PEO. I mean, we both know, we both got into this industry to help people grow and stay afloat. And PEOs really came through, uh, through COVID. Yeah, and then the so, other on top of that, post COVID, you've got all the Ertzy loans that are going on. They might, uh, one of our one of our key people at Able is Doug, and Doug is buried in Ertzy requests on a regular basis. But we're we're getting checks back that go to the client that are that they're mind blowing the size of some of these checks that just right. that, that help keep them afloat. So again, props out to uh, Pat Cleary's team from Napio because. They were the hardest working people out there trying to stay on top of everything that was going on during during that process. And it's if you I've heard this before, and it's more of a Jersey thing, which you can appreciate. But the PEO is like the mob. Once you get in, you don't get out. So most people that go yes. to a P, 
most people that go to a PEO, companies that go to a PEO, they may change PEOs, but very rarely do they leave. We're one-stop shopping for everything. And it's, it's the value proposition. If you're going to save some money in benefits or comp or something like that's bonus. But having all of your responsibilities tied up under one roof where you can make one phone call is time savings for everybody. Yeah, the value proposition is, is greater today than it's ever been. Um, one last topic before we, we leave. Um, over your 30 years, I know you've had to hire many, many salespeople. Some are good, some are bad, some will keep nameless at this point. But what, what do you look for in a, <laughs> a <laughs> what do you look for in a PEO salesperson? Um, or is there is there not just one uh, size or a template that you would use to hire a person? It, it, in my world, it, it, it varies. But at the end of the day, I'm looking. I like many other people are looking for hunters. If you're look, if you're a farmer and you're going to go out there and wait for business to come to you, it's that's that's not ever going to work. You need to be grinding. Whether you're grinding on the phone or you're grinding email, you've always got to be moving. Always, always be thinking. Always be marketing your mind. Whoa, look at that. Look at this. You, too often there are plenty of people that have come from large PEOs and they come to hide out to get the base and then they, they don't really do anything for six months. Um, right. You really need self-starters. You need people that are confident in their own ability and willing to hit the, hit the ground running and just work towards building a goal and, and satisfying people's business needs, not selling the case, but solving problems for that client. I think the, the number one rule in sales is be there. So be there when the opportunity is right, be there, there, close it. Or more importantly, if it doesn't work, make a friend. I've got plenty of, plenty of people over the years that I've been in competitive environments with. And yeah, I'm not going to be a player in this, but uh, Mr. Flagg, when you get all the presentations in, call me. I'll, I'll walk you through the vendors and give you the pros, cons, and you go from there. I think the most important thing is finding someone that's, that's just energized and that's authentic. You've got to be, you, you, the sales shtick doesn't work, certainly doesn't work in the Northeast. And I haven't really found that it works anywhere else either, but you've got to be authentic. You've got to know your product. Our industry is not young anymore, but it's not as mature. So finding, finding credible salespeople is a challenge. Yes. Yes. And, and the PEO concept can be so complex that it takes a while you know, and um, to understand all the moving parts, unless you're just going in and you're selling cheap workers comp, which, you know, some people do, but, you know, I don't think that's a long-term solution for, for either the salesperson or the PEO that allows that. Uh, the PEO space is amazing. I've been in this business for 32 years almost, and there's not a week go by that something, there's a, a new twist or a new change on stuff. So it's, it's, it's a great business to be in. It's beyond frenetic and it's not just my company. I, as I said, I know my team who are outstanding and other, I've got competitors as well where I know their teams pretty well. And we, we're, we're all, this is the time of the year where it's pretty crazy. So um, it's a great business model and it's a great space to be in. Yes, I appreciate you taking your time because I do recognize how hectic it is right now. So Jim, thank you, good luck and uh, happy selling season. Thank you, Kirk.